Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and I'm extraordinarily excited to have John Feig and Andy Rissman. They are both with uh, EY. John is a partner at EY, and Andy is a senior manager, and they're both in the forensic and integrity section. And the reason I'm so excited is they were part of a group that published an article in Fraud Magazine that I thought was just outstanding in the area of innovation and compliance. So with that incredibly long-winded introduction, gentlemen, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank Thank you very very much. much for having us. So I thought we just might jump right into it. Can I start with the question, what is integrity in an organization and why do companies need to confront integrity risks directly? Thank you very much, Tom. We define integrity deliberately around actions. That is bridging the gap between the promises that a company makes to act ethically, to provide safe products, to comply with laws to its actual behavior. Do the stated promises really apply when the company is engaged in making decisions about business? So the example we set in the article itself describes a fraud professional or compliance officer at a newly acquired company. And lo and behold, after the acquisition, it turns out that the business ethics of the new company don't exactly match what the parent company has been announcing. So how does this conflict get resolved? The point of the integrity agenda is to provide a framework facing into that, bringing the newly acquired company along and holding senior management accountable to what it's told the public and its customers about its standards of ethics. So Andy just gave a great introduction, and Tom, it's a great question. And I think that when I think of really what is the need here, why do we talk about integrity and why do we hit on it? I think about check-the-box programs, and I think compliance sometimes gets into check-the-box. And if we were to look at the 2012 FCPA guidance that was given by the SEC and DOJ, to quote them, they said, compliance programs that employ check-the-box approaches may be inefficient and more importantly, ineffective. And I still have clients that come to us and say, well, if I follow the latest DOJ guidance, meaning the one last year, last early 2017, am I okay? And so there's this thought that if I follow the compliance rules, then I'm okay because I can't get into trouble versus really trying to get to the heart of the issue, which has to do with what is the core integrity of our employees? And are we doing what we said that we would do? And that's the core of what the integrity agenda tries to get at. So the article you guys were a part of is entitled, What's Your Integrity Agenda? And it appeared in the ACFE Fraud Magazine. And what really intrigued me and why I thought it was so innovative is, obviously, I come from the anti-corruption compliance perspective. I'm a lawyer. And when I read it, I went, wow, these guys are writing about fraud examiners and giving them ideas and actual tactics and strategies to move forward. But I see this as directly in compliance. But even beyond that was the innovations you put into the article. And that's really what leads me to the next question, because what is the science of compliance as you guys see it? 
I'm going to talk, if you don't mind, about the art and the science, because the two fit together. The science, and it's been maturing very much over the last 10, 15 years, are the processes and the policies and the implementation of confidential reporting systems, what we bucket in the processes and controls piece of the integrity agenda. But that relates to the art of it as well. First and foremost, helping the leaders of the company at the top and the middle in regions around the world face into the issues, not shy away from tough questions. Second, establish the compliance office as as a trusted advisor. Then comes, based on those relationships, the ability to influence. Then we get into the more technical pieces, a training program that's effective, a policy that provides practical guidance, monitoring, continuous monitoring of transactions that might pose risk of corruption. These fit together, and that's what we try to express with the four interrelated elements of the integrity agenda. I thought that was an incredibly useful and helpful part for everyone from the fraud examiner to the compliance practitioner, and frankly, everyone above that, beyond that, in in between that. So I was wondering if you might be able to go into some detail around what are those specific four elements and what are the organizational activities around each? Yeah, thanks, Tom. In studying integrity and trying to figure out how we try to bring the gap together between the organization's intent and their actual behavior of its employees, we identified four elements. Two, I would say, are programmatic. Those are governance and culture. And two are really based on how an organization behaves through its controls and procedures. And then finally, its insights that it gets from data and through various activities that go on at the company. With each one of those four governance, culture, controls, and procedures, and insights, how would you think through, at least begin to think through, measuring some of the effectiveness of each one of those, and then from there, using those measures in a variety of ways? Yeah, that's great. You know, let's start with governance, because I think governance, I think it's somewhat obvious to us as professionals in compliance that governance is so important. How is it that senior management is going to understand what's happening and make the proper decisions that's necessary? And how is the board and their oversight activities going to exercise their independence in trying to make sure that the company has it right? And, and governance is really where it starts, and in some places, governance is where it ends. Making sure that there's the proper organizational vision, mission to ethical obligations making sure that that integrity function design is there. What are the roles and responsibilities? What are they from a human resources department standpoint? What is internal audit who usually reports to the audit committee? What are they tasked to do? What is senior management really supposed to do? And then looking at how the risk function actually works. To the extent that the risk function sees risks and needs resources, the governance function should make sure that they are properly resourced. Or because budgets are tight and business is difficult, is it going to be overlooked and budget's going to get cut and those important processes and events aren't going to take place? We expect that if governance is focused on this, they'll make sure that resources and capital are available to the integrity function, and that is so important. And obviously, the policies that come out that govern the organization should flow through senior management and ultimately with board oversight. 
Now, the second is kind of the soft side, which is culture. And culture is some ways difficult and in other ways not. And Tom, you had mentioned the lawyer and an anti-corruption focus, et cetera. And I usually look at culture, and it's a good example to use through anti-corruption, so I'll use it, which is, are you having open and transparent communication? And how are the confidential reporting lines play in? And I have seen situations, I've been overseas, where we've been doing investigations of severe bribery situations. And it's not a mistake that the junior level person that really may have conducted inappropriate activity, been part of it, but not the ringleader, what happens to those folks? They immediately get fired. And those folks are just there to feed their families. If we're doing this right, we're protecting those individuals. We're making sure that the organization feels protected. They feel like they can go and talk to management about things that may be wrong or that they don't like. Research shows that people do want to do the right thing. They want to support the company. But I think this whole culture element gets to, is the company supporting them too? Is this a two-way street or is it not? So when we start to see open and transparent communication, perhaps that's a guideline if we're on the right path or not. We think it is where we see companies that have a culture that seems to be leading to less incidents of fraud and other malfeasance, we're seeing more two-way communication and we're seeing more of the employees thinking that they're protected in their everyday environment and communications. And obviously, before they even come in, employee selection and eventually separation, are we hiring the right folks? And from a separation perspective, is justice happening? And is it happening consistently so that folks believe that the culture of the organization is to root out folks that are doing the wrong things and they won't fall victim to being part of the schemes. I think controls and procedures, which is our third element, is a little bit more clear about making sure that there's continuous improvement of controls. You know, things like third-party due diligence and management are in place to try to find inappropriate third parties before they even come into the system. And then to identify what characteristics may come forward through technology-enhanced procedures and data analytics about performance. The last one is kind of a broad category. We call it insights. But what we're really trying to learn through insights, Tom, is how do we use analytics? How do we use the data that we have from the above three categories to try to prevent or quickly detect problems? Perhaps that's you know, in the whistleblower hotline, are we seeing any trends? Are we seeing that one plant has a lot of problems versus another? Are we seeing that men are getting a different level of discipline than women? Perhaps the Me Too movement and some of those types of issues. And that people just feel like the system isn't fair. Those insights we're finding can be developed through really just deciding how we want to come up with the right measurements and understanding what's possible. I think that when we see breakthroughs with our clients, it's when we start by saying, where is it that we're trying to go? And how can we find insights from whatever data exists? And I think it's more like an epiphany where people say, wow, there's a lot of data that's out there that can be mined. We just haven't thought through it. And that's where we're starting to see a lot of the breakthroughs. 
On the point of measurement, I just want to note some quotes from Professor Soltis, who was our co-author, and that's more focus on the outcomes of the exercise. Are we seeing, for example, changes in Salesforce behavior, perhaps better performance around T&E disclosures? So there are certainly the processes, the easily available statistics around how many people took training, but what really is changing? What are the outcomes? And that is what we're looking for from those data insights. So, John, if I could take you back to the culture element, because you had one line in your article that I thought encapsulated culture really as well as any four words or one line I've seen, and you call it what would you do case study scenario? And the quote, what would you do? I think that is something that literally every person across the globe could answer and would understand that question, certainly within the context of broader cultural issues that you're trying to ascertain in this element. But it seemed like to me with that four word question, you really synthesize down for the individual employee, what culture meant for them, how it impacted them, and frankly, how they would move forward in a wide variety of scenarios. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Tom. And I had the luck of kind of traveling around the world with a company who had just come off a bribery and corruption situation, and they self-reported to the SEC. And we we really wanted to understand what was happening in the employee base. And it really came down to what is in the employee's mind? And that's a key question that we asked. And what we found, first of all, what we found was, thank you so much for asking. In other words, do you care what I think? You're not just from the center, from some global headquarters that I just generally don't like. I am, I get to provide my thoughts. And what they did is then once asked the question, they said, well, no matter what you tell me to do, I would do some of these things. And here's why. In our culture, and then you could you know, fill in the gaps, but in our culture, we would do these things because it's the, the respect that we give, which led to the discussion of, okay, now how can we do it compliantly? which was a great dialogue as to how we take the understanding from the corporate office of the requirements. And we go to the ground, you know, and this was in Indonesia where this particular example was, and we say, okay, based on what's going on in Indonesia, how do we help that person comply? And it really became the essence of why we wrote this article, which is how do we, instead of compliance and integrity services, a must-have, something you have to do, and kind of a, an evil, it becomes, if a company needs to grow, let's say that a company goes into the emerging markets and that's how they're going to get their growth, how do they succeed? I don't think anyone would say they're not going to succeed without strong ethics, integrity, and compliance. They need to have those things as the platform to grow. And when we start to have these discussions, and the culture side is really important, we really figure out how we need to structure the program so that we take into account everyone in the organization and we help them to comply. Well, John, I think what you did there was move to the answer of the last question I wanted to ask both of you to, because Aidy talked about using the information, using the data, using the data that every company has to help bridge the integrity gap. But in your last section in the article, it's entitled Anti-Fraud Professionals Call to Action. And I think you just answered it, but I really wanted to ask both of you two, why did you put a specific call to action in the article for the anti-fraud professional? Andy, I'll let you go first. Well, thank you. The anti-fraud professional, and that might be a job as a 
fraud examiner, as an auditor, as a compliance professional, has made a commitment, uh, really cares about not only losses to the company or, or self-dealing, but ethical lapses, integrity lapses that can corrode the culture of the company and undermine it. We speak to people in various professions, risk management, legal, compliance, fraud, who are there because they understand the purpose of protecting the company, keeping it on course, and empowering people, and separating between those who are truly bad apples and also guiding people who might be under conflicting pressures. So we wanted to speak to that. And we set the example of one person who has to take this challenge on to describe what the reason for the call to action is, and then provide a framework to how to think it through. So, Tom, there's something that I call the compliance dilemma. I believe the compliance agenda is how do we comply with various laws, regulations, as well as our company policies and codes of conduct with decreasing budgets and higher scrutiny? And I think that's just a very difficult position for compliance professionals to be in, anti-fraud professionals to be in. So how do we use the integrity agenda to help solve the compliance dilemma? And I think if we use the tone of measurement, if we use the tone of, hey, we're doing a bunch of things currently, why are we doing them? And is it really moving the needle or is it not moving the needle? Or perhaps we could take the existing budget that we have and we could apply it in a more efficient way so that we could try to reduce this gap that we talked about between intentions and behavior. I think that the anti-fraud professional is in a key place to cause the right action. And they're in the right place to also say, hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing these tasks because they're not happening. There are a lot of, I call it the rhythm of an organization. There's lots of rhythms that happen in an organization. When people leave in an organization, a lot of times there's exit interviews that are conducted by HR. And, and during those exit interviews, is anyone asking, hey, are there any things that made you feel uncomfortable when you're here? You know, maybe they'll talk to us and maybe we'll be able to gain some insights that ordinarily we wouldn't be able to gather. Those types of opportunities to really get feedback from existing employees, from employees that are leaving, are really the key to try to move the needle as to what's working, what's not, and how we can improve. Well, gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but this has just been a fascinating exploration of an article of the concepts and behind an article that appeared in the September-October issue of Fraud Magazine entitled What's Your Integrity Agenda? Both John and Andy were part of the authorship team. It included Eugene Soltis from Harvard and Vince Walden, also with EY. Gentlemen, first of all, I wanted to thank you again for Thanks time to visit me. We're going to link to this information in the show notes. And I, for one, greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.